Malachi chapter 2, look at verse number 1. I want to read again down through verse number 9. And here's what the Bible said. And now, O ye priests, this commandment is for you. If you will not hear and if you will not lay it to heart to give glory unto my name, saith the Lord of hosts, I will even send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yea, I have cursed them already, because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will corrupt your seed and spread dung upon your faces, even the dung of your solemn feast, and one shall take you away with it. And ye shall know that I have sent this commandment unto you, and that my covenant might be with Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. My covenant was with him of life and peace, and I gave them to him for the fear wherewith he feared me and was afraid before my name. The law of truth was in his mouth, and iniquity was not found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity and did turn many away from iniquity. For the priest's lips should keep knowledge, and they that should uh, seek uh, the law at his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But ye, now God's beginning to bring an indictment against them now, but ye are departed out of the way. Ye have caused many to stumble at the law. Ye have corrupted the covenant of Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore have I also made you contemptible, and base before all the people according as ye have not kept my ways, but have been partial in the law. Now, leave your Bibles open. I hope I can offer up an explanation again of these verses that I trust the Lord will help us and encourage us. I don't want to just, I just don't want God to convict us tonight. I, want to God, I pray God will encourage us from these, uh, these verses. Let's pray. Father, please bless your word and to speak to our hearts tonight. Thank you for the good music and the good singing that we've heard tonight. What a joy to come aside on a Wednesday night and be together with our church family in Wednesday night service. Bless each one that's here, those who are listening by radio and those who have logged on to our website tonight. Help us, we pray, and may the Word of God come alive to us. May we learn something from this text, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you've been with us recently in our Wednesday evening services over the last several months, then you may recall that we have been making our way through the, the, the Old Testament book of Malachi. It is a book that was written almost 2,500 years ago, and yet as we have seen, hopefully seen, in these services and these Wednesday evenings, it's a book that has great relevance for you and I as we live out the days in which we're living. And the thing to remember about this book is this book, the book of Malachi, what we call the book of Malachi, was God's last words before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, these people were living in the days prior to the first coming of Jesus. Now, you can just well imagine that we would expect to find a, a group of people living in the days prior to the first coming of Jesus. We would expect them to find them excite, excited and full of enthusiasm and anticipation. We would expect them to be on fire for God as they waited for the coming of the Lord Jesus. But just the opposite was true. Instead of enthusiasm, there was great apathy in those days. Instead of being on fire, there was coldness and indifference and unconcern among, uh, among the people of Malachi's day. Oh, they hadn't quit church. They hadn't quit worshiping the Lord. But their worship was not from the heart. Their worship was more out of habit 
and out of head than it was out of heart. They were just going through the motions. They were offering to God their leftovers, their second best, all the while thinking that they could just bring to God whatever they wanted to bring to God, and God would just bless them because they bought it. Sound familiar? Yes, sir. You know, you and I are living in days before the final coming of the Lord Jesus. You would think, and I'm not talking about our church, but, uh, well, probably some of us, but maybe just not our church in particular, but the church overall. You would think the church, Christians living in the days prior to the final coming of the Lord Jesus, you would think there'd be a lot of excitement. There would be a lot of enthusiasm in the hearts and lives of God's people. You would think there would be great anticipation of the Lord's soon coming. But again, as we look around, we find instead of a spirit of excitement and a spirit of anticipation, there seems to be a spirit of apathy and a spirit of unconcern. Instead of finding people on fire for the Lord, seems to be a coldness that settled in over the church. Oh, we haven't quit coming to church. We haven't quit bringing our offerings before the Lord. We haven't quit worshiping. But our worship is very cold, very routine, and very mundane. We hear, but we don't hear. We're, we're moved, but we don't move. We feel, but we don't feel. Boy, I'll tell you what, God had a message for those people in that day, and I think God's message has not changed to the people of our day. What did God do? God sent them a prophet by the name of Malachi who lifted up his voice in prophecy and protest over all that was going on in that day. Now, I told you last time when we come to chapter 2, this whole chapter basically is to the spiritual leaders of Malachi's day. Look again at verse 1. He says this, And now, O ye priests. So we know that this, 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 this letter, this, this chapter 2 here, is written to the spiritual, the spiritual leaders of Malachi's day. And it almost seems like as we move through this chapter that Malachi, God, through Malachi, is laying the blame for the spiritual condition of the people at the feet of the spiritual condition of the spiritual leaders of that day. In other words, God is saying the reason my people are so cold is because the leaders are so cold. The reason my people are so indifferent is because the leaders are spiritually indifferent. So in reality, here in chapter 2, Malachi just rears back, boy, unless the leaders have it, the priests, the spiritual leaders down in this land. Uh, down in that day. If you'll look down at verse number 9, God tells us what he's about to do to those spiritual leaders. He said, uh, uh, therefore, have I made you contemptible and base. In other words, God said, I've just laid you bare before all the people. I'm not sure what's implied by all that, but I tell you what, I don't much like the sound of it, do you? And God is just saying, man, I'm telling you, it's not just time for the people to step it up, but it's time for the leaders to step it up as well. So God is writing now in chapter 2 to the spiritual leaders. Maybe I could call this chapter this, Spiritual Lessons for Spiritual Leaders. Or maybe this, Special Lessons for Spiritual Leaders. So I know what you may be thinking tonight. 
I know what you may be thinking. You, you may be thinking tonight, well, you know, I'm not a spiritual leader. I'm not a leader in this church. I'm preaching tonight on this thought when sin gets in the pulpit. When sin gets in the pulpit. Because that's what we're talking about tonight. We're talking about when sin has got into the lives of the spiritual leaders of God's people. But I know what you're thinking right now. Maybe you're sitting here tonight saying, Preacher, I'm not a preacher, so this message is not for me. Well, instead of maybe preaching on this thought, when sin gets in the pulpit, maybe I should call it this, when sin gets in the, the podium. Maybe, maybe the message tonight is for the teachers in our church. I thank the Lord for the Bible teachers that we have in our church who at no, at, at, at no, no uh, financial compensation from our church study the Word of God every week and stand up in their Bible classes on Sunday morning and they give to our people what they have studied during that particular week. I appreciate our teachers in our church at, 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 at a lot of times little recognition and little appreciation. They pour themselves in to their study every week and they get up on Sunday morning and they stand before our people and they impart to them the Word of God. But it's sad when sin gets in the pulpit. It's sad when sin gets in the podium. But maybe you're sitting here tonight with a preacher, you don't understand. I'm not, I'm not a preacher. And I'm not a teacher. So maybe I should call this tonight when sin gets in the pew. Now, is that all of us? Want some more? I mean, I think that takes in all of us, don't it? Because you're either in the pulpit, you're behind the podium, or you're in the pew. And it's sad indeed when sin gets in the pulpit. It's sad indeed when sin gets in the podium. And it's sad indeed when sin gets in the pew. So what I want to do tonight is let's just, let's just, let's just scratch around in the text surface of this text tonight, and let me see if I can give you three truths from the Word of God when sin gets in the pulpit. I think, number one, sin gets in the pulpit, number one, when we lose our respectability of the person of God. When we lose our respect, our reverence of who we're representing as we stand in the pulpit. Now, verse number 5 reminds us in this text that these priests, uh, and one of the reasons that they had entered into a covenant with the tribe of Levi, if you'll look there, that God had entered a covenant with the tribe of Levi is because Levi feared, he feared God. Look at verse number 5. My covenant was with him, speaking of Levi, of life and peace. I gave them to him, my covenant. I gave my covenant to him. Why? Because of the fear wherewith he feared, uh, feared me and was afraid before my name. Now, what does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. God said, the reason I made a covenant, and by the way, you've got to understand, the spiritual leaders of the nation came from the tribe of Levi. The priest came from the tribe of Levi. And the priest, the high priest came from the tribe of Levi. The priest in general came from the tribe of Levi. The responsibility of all that went on in the house of God 
fell upon the shoulders of the tribe of Levi. So they were the spiritual leaders in the, in the nation of Israel. And the reason God said that He called them to be the spiritual leaders is because they feared God. They feared God, and the Bible said they were afraid before His name. But then we know they turned right around. In Malachi's day, these spiritual leaders, these priests, and they just started accepting any old kind of a sacrifice that the people brought unto the Lord. They received it and offered it up to the Lord. And let me tell you why they did that. Because they stopped fearing God. The reason anything and everything began to be accepted is because the priest quit fearing the Lord. Now, I want you to listen to me and listen well. We don't live in these days anymore, so this idea is a little bit foreign to us, but we do know in the Old Testament and even up till after the death of Christ in the New Testament, the way a person came to worship God was by bringing a sacrifice to the Lord. Of, a, of some kind of an animal was brought to the, to the, in the Old Testament to the tabernacle gate and the priest received that offering from the hand of the person who was offering it. The priest would then kill the sacrifice and offer it up, uh, the blood of the sacrifice, and then he would go to the laver and he would go inside of the, uh, the holy place and the high priest once a year would walk behind the veil into the presence of, uh, of, of God himself. But these offerings, God specified these offerings could not just be an offering of anything. I mean, these offerings had to be without blemish. They had to be perfect as far as the human eye was concerned. The reason I say that, look at this verse right here, Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 21. God said this, And if there be any blemish therein, as if it be lame or blind or have any ill blemish, in other words, if you came and let's say you were going to bring a lamb and offer it up as a sacrifice unto the Lord, you couldn't bring a lamb that, had, that, that was lame, that, that hobbled around. You couldn't bring, bring, bring a lamb that was blind, maybe missing an eye. You couldn't bring a lamb that had a big old black spot on it. You couldn't do that. You know why? Because every one of these offerings in type signified, represented the perfect offering of God's Son that was getting ready to come in the New Testament on Calvary. I just want to remind us all, God didn't send an angel down here with a broken wing and, and, a, and a missing ear. God sent the best that heaven had in the person of His Son, the Lord Jesus. Well, all these offerings in the Old Testament pointed forward to that one offering of God's perfect Son on Calvary so they couldn't be without blemish. No lameness, no blindness, no spots, no scurvy, no manes. I mean, they had to be, as far as humanly speaking uh, concern, was concerned, they had to be perfect. But then these priests come along, and man, they started just receiving anything. I mean, buddy, just any offering. They would bring it to the priest, and these priests would take it, and they would offer it up as a sacrifice when they should have said, sent those people back and said, look, we ain't about to offer this up to a holy and a righteous God. You go back, get something better than this, and come back in here if you're going to worship God. But instead of rebuking the people and reproving the people, they just wanted to get along to go along. And they started receiving any old sacrifice that was brought. You know why? I'll tell you why. Those priests, those preachers, those spiritual leaders had lost their fear. They had lost their fear of God. Let me give you a good definition of the fear. Can I say that our nation has lost its fear of God? 
Can I say that tonight? And I think you'll agree with me when I say that our nation, when we thumb our nose in the face of Almighty God and we make rules that go contrary and we, 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 we legislate laws that are contrary to this book right here, friend, I'm here to tell you, we've flown it in the face of Almighty God. The reason we've done that is because we've lost the fear of God. We've lost the respect of who God is and what God can do. That's exactly right. One of the best definitions for the fear of God I've ever read is the one that said this, the fear of God is giving God His rightful place in our lives. It's recognizing who God is and what God can do. I don't know, this is not a good illustration, but it's about the best one I could come up with, talking about and thinking about the fear of God. Could I just for a moment, and, and I'm not saying this, I'm not elevating this to the status of God, but I can, you know, electricity. Thank God for electricity. Right now in this building, we're enjoying the benefits of electricity. The lights are on. The instruments were played tonight. Thank God for the air conditioning that's kind of kept the building a little cool and we got a good sound system. And, and, you know, really, when we come to church, we enjoy the benefits of electricity. I thank God we got electricity at home. I'm enjoying electricity at home. Thank God for refrigerators. Thank God for air conditioning at home. Hey, thank God for hot water. It all runs off of electricity. I enjoy it. I love it. I bask in it. But I respect it. In other words, I ain't about to go in there and start messing with the stove before I cut the breaker off in the breaker box. In fact, I'm so scared of it, I just cut the breaker box to the whole house off. I'm not leaving any chance. I'm not going to go home and take a butter knife and stick it in an electrical socket tonight. I'm not going to reach in there, unscrew a light bulb, and stick my finger up in there. You know why? I have great respect and reverence for electricity. I'm going to cut it off before I start working on it. Amen. I went to see Miss, uh, Brother Howard and Miss Lorraine today, and she had a... She was, she was out weed-eating, not weed-eating, but trimming her bushes, and so she had a... She had an extension cord she was trying to use, and the crazy thing was in two. And she said, I don't know. i I, I got to get this fixed. I said, well, Miss Lorraine, I'll fix it for you. I mean, I, I know a little bit about that, but I bless your heart, I made sure it was unplugged before I started working on it. I appreciate it. I love it. I thank God for it. But man, do I respect it. I know what it can do. I mean, it can light your lights up. Hey, listen, you, you get a hold of a 220. Dum, dum, da, dum, dum. I mean, we're going we gonna to have your funeral. I, I've had too many people that I know that have been killed from electricity because they lost their fear of it. They lost their respect for it. They became a little bit callous and careless with it. Let me say it like this. They became too familiar with it. And so they didn't take the proper precautions. And while we enjoy it, we bask in it, we, we, we thank God for it, We're, we, we, we like it. It'll kill us if you don't respect it. If you don't, excuse me, reverence it. If you get too familiar with it, just start saying, oh man, it ain't going to happen to me. It's going to be, your hair's going to be standing straight up. Smoke's going to be coming out your ears. 
And that's the same way it is with God. God, listen, we need to understand who God is. I love God. I enjoy God. I like it when God gets in the car with me going down the road. I like to feel God. I like to experience God. I, I like to love God. I enjoy God. I thank God for what He's done for me. But I'll tell you, I don't want to mess with Him. I do not want to mess with Him. I don't want to go against Him. No, sir. I, I, I'm no rival for Him. He's too big for me. I fear Him. And one of the reasons sin gets in the pulpit or in the podium or in the pew is we begin to lose our respect for who God is. One of the reasons churches today are doing anything and everything is because we've lost... We've lost the respect of who God is. It's almost like, I'm not, I, don't be mad at me, but I'm just trying to say we almost want to pull God down to our level. And we want to act like God's just one of us. And we want to go up to God and say, Hey, God, give me five. God, give me some depth. Hey, God, bump my chest. God, you're in my posse. Hey, can I tell you something, friend? God is holy. And God is righteous. And God is true. And look, you and I, and I, I, this, is, this is way, way an understatement, but you and I are not even in the same zip code with God. Hey, instead of us trying to pull Him down to us, we ought to raise ourselves up to the standard of holiness as much as possible. I'll tell you why sin had gotten a pulpit. They'd lost their fear of God. God said at the, at the beginning, the reason I chose you leaders, you priests from the tribe, the reason I chose Levi is because he feared me. But through the process of time, they lost the fear of God. What's wrong with us in America? I mean, we've lost our fear of God. I mean, people want to stand, these, these, these ball teams, they want to win championships and then stand, have the audacity to stand in there while they're shooting alcohol everywhere, spraying everything down with alcohol, and just say, I want to thank God for giving us this championship. My hind leg on that. Some scantily clad actress wants to walk across a platform and receive a, an Oscar for acting in some kind of an ungodly movie and have the audacity to stand there and say, I want to thank God for giving me. Where is the fear of God at anymore? We've lost it. The fear of God. We've lost our respect of who God is. Yes, sir. They were in trouble. Sin got in the pulpit. Why? They lost the respectability of who God is. Number two, watch this. In the text now, sin had gotten the pulpit because they had lost their responsibility to the Word of God. They had lost their responsibility. You see, in reality, the chief responsibility of the priest was not necessarily just to offer up sacrifices. According to our text, the chief responsibility of the priest was to teach people the Word of God. Look at verse 7. For the priest lips should keep knowledge, and they should seek the law in his mouth. For he is the messenger. He's not just offering up sacrifices. He is the messenger. He is the mouthpiece of the Lord of hosts. I mean, man, his job, the, the priest's job, was not just to kill an animal and take the blood and apply it. That's not, that was just not his primary job. His chief function was to get into the law of God, to understand the Word of God, and then to be a messenger for the Lord of hosts. 
Can I tell you something? One of the reasons sin's got in the pulpit because we don't, we, don't, we don't get in the Bible anymore. I mean, man, we're doing everything imaginable uh, to try to draw a crowd to church except for what God said to do, and that is get your heart full of the Word of God, stand up, give the Word of God out, and we're doing everything else but trying to do that. We're blessed animals. We're having blessed animals Sunday at church. God help, we ain't blessing no animals around here. We're trying to take as many out as we can. I was coming down 52. Me and my wife were coming down 52 Tuesday morning. And I mean traffic got just come to a screeching halt. And the reason it come to a screeching halt is a bunch of these Canadian geese that's just walking in and out the road. And I mean the people just I run over them crazy things. They make a mess. If you see one, if you see one, swerve over. If you've got to get in the yard, kill it. Run over there. I'm kidding, but barely. I'm barely kidding. Blessing out. Hey, bring your animals to church. We're going to pray a blessing over them. I read about a church down in Texas that was offering free beer for church. I mean, man, we're doing everything and anything and everything, but what God said, hey, get in the Bible, get in the Word, and then be my messenger. And we've just, we've lost our responsibility to the Word of God. Can I tell you something? The Bible will still work. The Word of God has not lost its power. It's still just as potent and powerful today. As I would encourage all of our teachers, Sunday school, Sunday morning, don't entertain them. I'm not in the entertainment business. You may notice when I preach, I don't have stories. I told that one about burning myself. That's about the only story I got. I don't have stories to tell. And I'm not knocking anybody that does tell stories. I'm just saying this. All I know to do is stand up and preach the book. Amen. Preach the Word of God. If I got a story that goes along with it, I might try to tell it. But otherwise, I mean, when we walk in here, I mean, let's just, let's just say we're going to get the, a diet of the Word of God. Maybe that's why my sermons aren't 45, 50 hour, 10, 15 minutes long. And I know you're probably saying, well, and we thank you, preacher. And we thank God for that. But good night, man, give us the Bible. The Bible will get the... Hey, in your Sunday school class, you don't have to entertain them. Give them the Bible. Give them the Word of God. The Word of God will get the job done. I heard about this one old boy who had just gotten saved. He was so excited about being saved. And uh, the preacher was preaching on soul winning. And, uh, and uh, to give the Word of God to people. And so he just went home and started cutting his Bible out. Just cutting verses out of his Bible and pasting it on 3 by 5 index cards. And he would just walk up to people and say, here, take this. I mean, just come up to you, just give you a, a three by five index card, and he had a cut out, cut out of his Bible, had a, a, a scripture pasted on the card. Well, he went up to this one old boy, and, he, and uh, I mean, he was a new convert, didn't really know any better, so he had cut out Genesis 5.27, which talks about Methuselah living to be 969 years old. <laughs> so he pasted on this three by five index card, Walks up, says, guy, boom, hands it to him. He says, here, take this, read this. The guy just stuck it in his pocket, didn't even read it. Now, you would think he would just throw it away, but he, he, he took it out later on, he read it, and he read about a guy that was 969 years old. He said, this can't be right. So he goes home and gets his Bible out. And he turns over to Genesis 5 and verse number 27, and sure enough, it talks about Methuselah being 969 years old. He thought, man, this can't be right. People don't live that long. Got to read another verses in the chapter. 
This one lived to be 900. That lived to be 800. Then he started looking in the center column reference and it started giving references to different places in the Bible. He's just trying to find out why they was living that long. Somehow he wound up over the New Testament reading about how Jesus died for everybody and he got saved off Genesis 5.27. Methuselah lived to be 969 years old. The Bible gets the Word of God done. Uh, the, the, the Word of God, the Word of God will get the job done. We just need to get back. Don't put the pulpit on wheels so you can slide it in and out and have drama and plays and dialogue. Hey, I'm here to tell you, man, give them the Word of God. The Word of God will still work. But sin got in the pulpit and they lost their responsibility to the Word of God. They've gotten away from all. Look at verse 8. But you've departed out of the way, God says. You've departed out of the way. You've caused many to stumble at the law. Then he goes on down, is it verse 9, and he talks about how you've been partial in my law. Sounds like to me they were just telling people what they wanted to hear. Amen. They were just, they, 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 they didn't want to share the whole law of God. They were just, you know, telling people what might, what, what might please them. That's not what helps us. We've got to give them the whole, the whole law of God. Number, number three, let's get done with this. We have got to go. Number three, sin got in the pulpit when they lost their re the, the reliability of their walk before God. Now look at this text. Look at verse number six. Here's what God said about Levi initially. Here's what he said about it. The law of truth was in his mouth. Iniquity was not found in his lips. He walked with me, God said. He walked with me. He walked with me. And then he said this, in peace and equity. And notice, and he did turn many away from iniquity. Well, that's what he was supposed to do. That's how he started out. And then somewhere along the way, he just became interested in just accommodating everybody and just accepting everything and just letting everything go and tolerate. Well, it sounds kind of, this kind of sounds familiar, don't it? Accepting everything, accommodating people, tolerating everything, compromising. Letting things go by. And God said in verse number 8, you've departed out of the way. And then notice what he said. Because of your walk, because of the way you're living now, you've caused many to stumble. Boy, it's a sight, isn't it, when preachers and get up and preach in the pulpit and then they go out and live a different way? I know some like that. It's, it's pitiful. Preachers get up and preach about this or that. Then they go out and won't pay their bills. They get up and preach against this or that, and then they go up and go do the very things that they've been preaching against. And, and because of that, you know what they're doing? They're causing many to stumble. Look at verse 8. They cause many to stumble at the law. You know what we need to do? We need to get back, whether we're in the pulpit, in the podium, or in the pew. Our walk needs to match our talk. If we talk it, we ought to walk it. Amen. And quit being hypocritical about it and quit being one way at church and another way at home. I got some preacher friends and I love them dearly and I'm not just thinking about anybody in general, but I've had some and been in these preacher's meetings before and when you go after the preacher's meeting over and you sit down with them and you're eating lunch or whatever and them tell some of the awfulest jokes I've ever heard in my life. Man, that kind of stuff ought not be coming out of the lips of somebody who stands behind the pulpit. Oh, off-color jokes. 
Oh, off-color sayings. All they want to talk about is sex and stuff. I mean, under God. I mean, we are supposed to be preachers. Amen. <laughs> well, hush. We're supposed to be different anyway. Amen. And so sin had gotten in the pulpit. Sin had gotten in the podium. And tragically but truly, sin had gotten in the pew. Can I tell you something? The great need of our day in these days is for examples. We got too many bad examples. How many of you, how many of you have ever been witness to somebody? First thing they want to do is throw up somebody that goes to church. They want to throw them up to you and say, well, I tell you, if they're saved, the woods is full of them. They want to throw up an old bad example. You know what? The best way to get rid of a bad example is to be a good example. What did Paul tell Timothy? And I'm done. He said, Timothy, let no man, 1 Timothy 4, 12, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers. And then he named about six areas in faith, in conversation, in lifestyle, and what all, spirit, and uh, help me somebody. Y'all know it either, neither. No man despise thy youth, be thou example of believer in faith, spirit, and charity. It's in the King James. What? Tithing? <laughs> Brother Bodford, I knew there's a reason I liked you. <laughs> it ain't in that one, but I'm working on 3 Timothy. It'll be in mine. Let's do our best to do right. Let's pray. Father, thank you.